Alrighty, so last week, Hazy went a bit crazy and was talking about um, justified before God by faith and faith alone. And he went to some pretty extreme examples. Um, and I'm just wondering, is that what we believe? Is that what you believe? Faith and faith alone. Oh man, that beard. The one time of the year it's bad. Um, so it's a pretty big call, and if we've got it wrong, it's got big consequences. So do we have it wrong? I don't know. So if we're justified the same way that Abraham was, which is what uh, Andrew was saying, and what Paul was saying in his argument, if he was reading it right, by faith, then why did God give the law? Why is so much of the Bible, so much of the Bible, about God's law? when it doesn't really matter in the end, if it's the same as what happened to Abraham. Why did Jesus have to fulfill the law? If it was all based on the promise to Abraham, why did Jesus have to fulfill it in between? Is it faith or is it works? Is it a mixture perhaps? I don't know if you've ever doubted uh, what you believe in this area, but it's definitely worth getting right. Is it faith? Is it works? Is it both? Now Paul's been dealing with this and he's actually going to keep dealing with it, but he's going to talk about uh, the promise and the law. Right? So is it a promise, this is what he asks, or is it the law, or is it a mixture of both? Faith, works, promise, law, what is it? That's what we're going to figure out. And I'm sure, and so you guys let me know if you think so as well, I'm sure that Paul is arguing for faith as part of the faith works and promise as part of the promise law. That is what... It is based on, to get the promises of God, that is what we do. It's a gift and it's grace. And it's something you guys may have never heard before and it's something you guys may have heard heaps and heaps of times. So stay tuned, either party, because God's grace and God's gospel never gets boring. Um, so it is a gift and it reminded me of this time. You know, uh, some people just can't take gifts. They don't take gifts well. Like Some people don't take compliments well. It reminded me of hanging out with my mate a couple of weeks ago I uh, took him out to lunch, that's what grown-ups do to use Hanlon's language, and uh, we went to Hog's Breath in Terrigal, and uh, it, it was a lovely meal, and we chatted, we chatted gospel actually, and um, I've, I've known this guy since primary school, I've played basketball with him since like kindergarten or something, he's an awesome dude, and uh, we finished up and we went to the counter, and the chick asked that question, classic, do you want to pay separately, do you want to split the bill? And I just thought, you know what, nah. And so he was expecting, he's going like this, expecting to pay. I just pulled out, went blip, and paid both like that. And I could, I could hear him frustrated behind me. He was like kicking his feet and he's shaking his head. He's pretty. And, and then we're walking down those hog's breast stairs like this. And um, he just goes, oh, effing hate you right now. You suck so much. And like this, and I'm just like, what is, like, I was pretty taken back. I was like, oh, I thought that was a nice thing. But no, he hated it, eh? He could not take a gift. And then, like, as we exited the stairs, I was like, all right, so just swear at me, whatever. He's like, oh, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to pay for you next time. We're going to do this again. I'm going to get, I'm going to pay back. He's just trying to earn this thing that I just gave to him. Some people just can't take a gift. He's trying to turn this gift that I just gave. I'm just like, just pipe down and just take it and be happy but he turned it into oh, I've got to earn this and it kind of it ends up like although it sounds kind of nice from his part that's probably what he was doing it um, it actually kind of robs the giver the giver wants to give 
But when you turn it into something you earn, then it's like, oh, whatever. Got paid back, sick. This context that Paul is in is very similar. The people he's talking to, they just can't take a gift. They're trying to turn this gift that is given, this promise, into something that they can earn as best they can. In a very real sense, that's just how humans are. That is what we will try to do every day of our life, try and earn things that are given to us. Although I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't try to do that in money senses, but we always try and earn the things that God gives us. So to understand uh, where Paul's coming from in Galatians, before we go there, We've actually got to do a lot of work and that's because this argument is 2,000 years old and the argument is about something that's a further 1,500 years old. So we're dealing with something 3,500 years old here and so we've got to try and figure out what's going on. So on the screens, check it out, here's a line and uh, here's a bit of time and so here is a timeline and we're going to work with this. You still with me, everyone? You got it? Okay, great. Um, the first thing we need to understand is that God made a promise to a guy uh, called Abraham. We'll call him Abe because that's what his mates called him. And um, it's in Genesis 12. So why don't you come there with me? We'll check it out real quick. 4,000 years ago. Genesis 12. I'll wait for the page flickers. All right. Verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Abe, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. These promises were a gift from God. Abe just had to believe that God would come through in his promises and that was credited to him as righteous. Flick over the page if you like me, but chapter 15 verse 6 says, Abe believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. So that's there. Check it out. Abraham, promise, faith, 2000 BC, 4,000 years ago. Right? Working with that. Cool. Uh, the second thing we need to understand before we get into this is that God gave a law as well to his people through a guy called Moses. This happened a fair while after Abe, our old mate Abe. And uh, it's in Exodus 20, you'll know it as the Ten Commandments, which is a summation of the law before it's unpacked. Uh, but in, Gen- in Deuteronomy 28, God speaks about this law and he says, if you do this, if you do my law, then I'll bless you. And we're, kinda, we're familiar with that language, bless. He, just, he said that to Abraham. Um, you will receive blessing. If you don't do the law, then I'll give a curse. So that's kind of that next bit. So Moses gets the law and it's based on works. If you do this, you get this. If you do this, you'll get that. Uh, That's about 1400 BC. So it's about 600 years in between there. Uh, So now I think we're ready. This is the historical context uh, that, that this... Galatians letter comes to us. So there's Jesus, bam, smack right there, using the, uh, the cross as it probably should be used. And uh, the question he's asking is, so is it faith back in Abraham? Or is it law? Moses, what? And that's uh, now like 48 AD, I think it is. So we're, we're a long way down the track. 
1,448 years, right? And they're debating this stuff. And so Paul argues it's faith, it's Abraham, it's the promise, right? And tonight we're picking up halfway through the argument, we heard some of it already, but we're picking up halfway through in verse 15. And so here's some diagrams of what I think's going on in people's head back then. I made them, they're pretty awesome. And so I reckon there's three views that you could take on what's going on. So the blue line is the promise, that starts in that, in that blob, and then the red thing is the law. And so I reckon, number one, the law was added on top of the promise. So you've got the promise, it's still continuing, and then the law is kind of added on. So promise, yep, good, we get God's blessing. Now we've got the law, now we've got the promise and the law to get God's blessing, right? Or you've got, the law is it, it overrides the promise. Here's the promise, here's the promise, here's the promise, here's the promise. The law comes in, it just overrides it. We're all about the law now. That's the only way we can get God's promise. And then the third one, the law is completely separate. We've got the promise and that's continuing. Good on you. Good on you, Abraham. Um, and then the law is separate for everyone else who has to work to their salvation. There's two different ways to this. That's what I think, after having dived into this, is going on. So if you're not already there, do come to Galatians 3. Um, and Paul's going to answer these. He's going to go over all three, I reckon, which is coincidental because I made this. No, 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 I made this from Paul's argument, obviously. Uh, so he says, the law doesn't add to, it doesn't override, and it doesn't stand opposed or separate as a different way to get to the promise of God. Those three things. He says it, nah, nah, nah. So let's look at each one. The first one, the law does not add to the promise. You can see it right there in verse 15. Paul starts his argument by saying that, um, or by using an illustration, that the promise can't be added to. So he uses a covenant, an agreement between two people, signed off, and he says if two people agree to something, they put it on paper, they write it down, they sign it off, you can't then add to that. The only way you can have another agreement that's different, rip it up, start again, re-sign it, you can't change the one that's already done. And so end of verse 15, he says, so it is in this case. And he's referring to the covenant, the promise with Abraham, with Abe. God made a promise and you can't add to it, he says. So it's like me saying, once you shake on it, that's it. Or pinky promise, if you're more familiar with that. Um, you can't change and everyone knows it. It's a universal law. So I can't say to you, let's run from here to there. Whoever wins a race has to buy the other person something. Lunch, let's say. I'm all about the lunches. And we go and we shake on it, which is unfortunately hard. How good would it be if you could shake your own hand? Um, so you shake on it or you pinky promise and you seal it with a kiss. You know how it goes. And you cannot change it. I can't do that and then say, and extra condition, if I win, you have to give me a car or something. You just can't do that. It's sealed. God made a promise to Abe, and it's sealed. It's done. So the view that says, you know, the law was added on top of the promise, you've got to add this, you've got to do this to get the promises of God, that can't be right. And he finishes his argument in verse 18. Where are we? For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. What this means is that the promise spoken to God, just complete. It's finished. There's nothing that Abe could do. He couldn't add anything. There's nothing anyone else can do. 
Nothing anyone else can add, which is awesome because the promise to Abe is completely by grace. It says it there in verse 18, but God in his grace gave it to Abe. And also notice in verse 16, I kind of skimmed over this the first few times, but it says the promises were spoken to Abe. Not God sat down with Abe and they had a a nice lunch again, and they, they kind of determined the terms of their agreement and they signed off and they're happy and they went home. No, God just spoke. And he said, if you remember, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I, 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 we, we, will. God will. He makes a promise and he speaks it. He just speaks it to Abraham. There's nothing he could do and there's nothing he can do. So if the law doesn't add to the promise, that can't be it. It's the second one down. So, no, that's the first one down, obviously. So, is it the law that overrides the promise? Does it kind of do away with it? And Paul says, no, it does not. Read verse 16 and 17 with me. The promises are spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The promise was spoken to Abraham and his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. Paul, Paul builds his argument with a few things. He says, um, verse 16, that the promise was to Abraham and to Jesus, his seed. Right? He then says that this promise is most certainly still relevant because... Verse 17, it doesn't set aside the covenant and do away with the promise. Basically, this promise was to Abraham and to Jesus, one before the law and one after. The promise still exists even after the law was introduced. Therefore, the law doesn't do away with the promise. Down. The, law, the promise is still alive and kicking, which is great news because it shows the faithfulness of God, shows he doesn't change his mind or change his contract with this, He's faithful to his promises, but it also is awesome because of the promises, what they mean for us, which we'll come to later. So the promise is still alive, but perhaps the law presents a separate way of getting there. This is the third point now. So Paul says the law does not stand opposed, um, doesn't stand as a separate way to the promises of God. Verse 21, I reckon, is pretty self-explanatory. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. I find that self-explanatory, but just in case, Paul simply states that the law can't present any other way in opposition because it can't give us the same thing. The law can't give life like the promise can, so they're not competing they're not headed towards the same goal. Um, and it can't, it says, because of our sin. Because we can't keep law, God's law completely. It can't, we can't fulfill our part, so it can't fulfill the part where it gives us life. So they don't stand opposed. So, let's put a cross on that one. And that's all three kind of ideas that the law would have been in relation to the promise done away with. So the question for us is, are we convinced of Paul's arguments? 
Because I reckon it's heaps easy to fling to any one of these. I reckon most people, I, t- I talked to a dude at Centrelink the other day, who was, um, yes, I was at Centrelink trying to get some free money. But um, <laughs> the, he was totally, which one was he? Totally the top one out of the promise. He's just like, churches are teaching dodgy stuff these days. I'm like, yeah, tell me about it, cool. And he's just like, there's not enough about keeping the law and doing this. We can't, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, man, that's him. And I was thinking about this. So this should leave you thinking, if you're convinced that all these are done away with, why even bring in the law? Why? Which is exactly where he's headed. Verse 19, why then was the law given at all? Good question, Paul. Paul says that the law was given to enslave us to sin temporarily to drive us to Jesus. So next slide. I want you to remember this sentence. The law was given to enslave us to sin temporarily to drive us to Jesus. I reckon that's what he says in pretty much the rest of the verses up to 25. So the first reason Paul gives is that it was added because of transgressions. It's in there in verse 19, which means sin. So why because of sin? He hasn't told us yet. It could be uh, to define what sin was. It could be to stop people from sinning. You know, he's added the law because of transgressions to, transgressions to stop sinning. It could be given to show how good God is in comparison to us. But we do know that it was given because of transgressions, because of sin. He then says, it was added until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. That is, this law was given temporarily until Jesus comes, who's the promised seed. So what does that mean now that Jesus has come? Does the law just disappear? Well, perhaps. Well, let's keep reading verse 22. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So verse 22 tells us that Scripture, which is another way of saying the law, locks us up under the control of sin. Now the law actually puts us in prison. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but the law puts us in prison and under the slavery of sin because we can't help but sin. Once there's a law, we can't help but break it. The law keeps on defining our sin and we can't stop doing it. So why lock us up under the control of sin? Why did God do that with his law? Verse 22, it says, So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So that we look to Jesus. That's what it says. Have faith in him and so be given the promise. So the law was given to us to define our sin, to lock us up under the control of sin, and to show that there's no way out of this except by Jesus and faith in him. So I could ask you guys, who here needs freeing from prison? And you guys are like, no, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, all good. And none of us want to be free from prison. But if Morpheus rocked up, or the architect, if you want more confusing explanations, and he just kind of goes, oi, there's this thing called the Matrix, you're not going to believe me, but you have to. Uh, we're actually in a prison right now made by computers and robots, and um, they're using our bodies as batteries. That's, that's the reality. And you're just like, whoa, 
I need freeing from this. You just made it known to me that I need freeing from this. Give me that blue pill or whatever it is. So who needs freeing from sin, our rebellion of God? The answer is we all do. And if you don't think you do, then you've got to learn that you do. And how do we know that? Because of the law. The law has made it plain to us. It locked us up. It showed us our sin and showed us that there's no way out. Let's read verse 23, 25, and you'll see all this coming out. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So there you have it. There's more explanations of the fact that we were locked up under sin with guardians who were like um, ancient whipcrackers, like employed by the family to look after kids and just beat them into shape by the law. It's actually pretty rough, but like prison guards almost. Until the faith to come would be revealed. And that's Jesus. The law was our guardian until Christ came temporarily and now that the faith has come we no longer have this guardian temporarily the law came to enslave us to sin to show us our sin and lock us under uh, key and lock that we can't get out of temporarily until jesus came to drive us to jesus as the only way to bring hope and be freed from our sin So you need to know that it exists to show us Jesus. That's why the law. And if we've found Jesus through knowing our sin and need for a saviour, then the law is no longer needed. Now I've drawn a a final diagram, and this is how I reckon it works. This is my best idea after a little bit of thinking. Um, So the promise of Abraham continues right through, and it's by faith, right? And the law was added temporarily. You can still see through it. That's still happening. The law was added until Jesus. And it was added so that we feel the hopelessness. We need to feel the hopelessness of our situation in order. We need to pass through the law, the devastation of the law. We need to read heaps of the Bible to understand that sin and law just enslaves. And we need freeing from it. We need to understand that. And we need to understand that it was all leading up to Jesus, who's the only one who can free us from that. We need to know that we need a saviour. And you need to understand this. This is Paul's point. So how are you made right with God? Is it by the law? No, it isn't. It was never intended to be that way. The Jews held on to it hugely. People today hold on to it hugely. I'll be right with God if I do this. The law was never intended to bring life. Just point to Jesus. So, are we made right with God? Do we get the promises of God through faith in Jesus? The answer is yes. That is how it comes about. So, it's been a big argument. It's been going for a little while. Paul's gone to great lengths to explain this to us but where does all this extensive argument from Paul hit the ground for us? How do we apply it to ourselves? Well I reckon there's some people here, some of you that really need to hear that to be right with God 
It's through faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. Now, you're, this kind of person's like always anxious about their relationship with God, thinking, oh, if I screw up again today, I'm going to fall out of the presence of God and I'm going to have to clean myself up again before I can come back to him, before he'll have me back. It's just an anxious lifestyle based on the law. And the answer here for you is, no, that isn't it at all. It's through faith in Jesus. And you're bound to Christ. You're with God no matter what. Trust in Jesus and he'll take your anxiety away. The Bible tells us to throw it on him. So for some of you, however, you're kind of the opposite. You haven't really experienced uh, what we need to experience by passing through the law. That's kind of what I mean. Passing through the law, experiencing the law so that you, you might not even feel like you need a saviour. You don't even feel like you're that bad. And as Christians, this is actually quite a, an easy thing to occur. We can often just bypass the law altogether and go straight to Jesus. So are you, think, are you someone who thinks they deserve Jesus? That'll tell you if you've bypassed the law. Are you, do you think you're someone uh, whose God's plan revolves around? It's all about me. Maybe you've bypassed the law. Now, as we've already talked about, passing through the law is good because it shows us our sin and our need for Jesus. So the fact that you see that need for Jesus is actually the most important thing and most helpful thing you can do for your faith in Jesus. So this is not to say that you should ditch your faith in Jesus like pitting him against each other. Ditch your faith in Jesus and go try being a Jew for a while and live under the law. That's not what I'm saying. Rather, examine yourself by the law Put yourself up against God's perfection and know that you cannot do this on your own. Know that you have no hope of saving yourself or any claim to God's blessing. But don't be discouraged. Don't be anxious because of Jesus. You can put your faith in Jesus. So the biggest application for this argument, I reckon, is, um, is where Paul lands, verse 26 to 29. We didn't have them read, but I'll read them quickly. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you are in Jesus, you are an heir to the promises of God, and you're a child of God. There's a few things here. If you have faith in Jesus, you're a child of God in inheritance. The inheritance that we have is in Christ through faith. So we become heirs of the promise that God spoke to Abraham and to Jesus. He spoke it to Jesus. And when he, when he spoke it initially to Abraham and looked forward to Jesus and spoke it to him also, he actually looked forward and spoke it to us as well because we'd be bound to Jesus in faith and we'd be heirs of that inheritance. Mind blown. God is faithful to his promises, so we know that that is for us. And that's awesome. This inheritance, it's eternal. doesn't perish, spoil or fade. Don't lose your faith in Jesus, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what you think you can get better, because whatever it is that's selling Whatever it is to you, it's going to fade, it's going to perish, it's going to spoil. 
Don't lose your faith in Jesus because Jesus promises an inheritance that will last forever. Another thing, you're God's child. As I often breeze over this one as well, but you're God's child. You, you who were once enemies with God, gave his own son for you and actually adopted you into his family. That's an intense shift. So what is it like to be the child of the creator of the universe? Did you know that you can talk to the creator of the universe? Whenever you speak to him, he will listen because he loves you. This is where our sense of identity and worth should be. Not in Facebook, not in our mates, not in doing what our mates want us to do, not in alcohol, not in anything else. It should be in the fact that you're a child of God. And can you imagine what it would be like to be a child of like Barack Obama? So no matter what's going on in school life, you're just like the most powerful man in the world. He's my dad and I'm in a relationship with him. I can go talk to him whenever I want. That bully's getting what's coming to him. You just feel like the king of the world and you'd be like, I'm an Obama, that's who I am. If, you, if they needed to, they could just walk into the Oval Office and Obama would listen to you, assuming he's a good father, puts his child ahead of work. Well, be a Christian with pride. At any time of the day or night, you can talk to your father, who happens to be the most powerful person in the universe, any time, day or night. And who cares what people think of you? Who cares what happens to you today or tomorrow? It's nothing compared to eternity. And you can just talk to your father about it, the creator of the universe who loves you and will listen to you. That relationship is epic. So not only are you like an individual and you're all individual children of God if you're in Jesus, but you're a family in Christ. And this family has no discrimination. So... um, Check out verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Now that leaves a pretty sweet flavour in my mouth. Every division is broken down by Jesus. It isn't Jew or Gentile and the, the associated worth of each in those societies, so Jew, high, Gentile, low. It's not that. It's gathered children of God. It isn't slave or free. No, it's gathered children of God. It isn't male or female. It's gathered children of God. Christians were the first feminists. or whatever you want to put that. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, says verse 28. What a picture of the family of Christ that we have one to which we can really belong and belong equally and loved. So if you're in this family, are you acting like it? That's a challenge for you. Do we as a gathered youth group, as EV youth, look like and act like gathered children of God? Or are there still heaps of distinctions between us that we value too highly? Like, um, yeah, this should say there's no Greenpoint and Terry or... Whatever, there's no distinction. We're all one in Christ. Public school, private, in the sense of any kind of discrimination, we're all one in Christ. There's no cool kids and nerdy kids because we're all one in Christ. Keep reminding yourself of that and keep acting on that. You know, as soon as this talk, as soon as disciple time's over, talk to someone you don't know as well. 
for like 10 minutes. Give up 10 minutes of your night to be selfless, to not come here to just serve yourself, but to serve others. Be welcoming to one another before you just go and serve yourself. Be a gathered one in Christ. Is Eva Youth such a place? Well, Paul's made a pretty abundantly clear argument over the last couple of weeks and this week included that we receive the promise of God through faith in Jesus Christ and therefore we have much to be thankful for.